This is New Classical Tracks from American Public Media. If you're enjoying this podcast, the best thing that you can do for the show is tell somebody else about it. Help spread the word and take a moment to rate and review us on your podcasting app. Nadine Sierra dedicates her latest recording, Made for Opera, to her grandmother, who was born and raised in Portugal. She had a beautiful singing voice, but she was never allowed to have a career of any kind. So when Nadine was small and her mother realized that she had a passion for singing, well, I guess you could say the rest is history— Her mom made sure that Nadine was able to pursue her passion for opera from the time she was just a little girl. On her second recording, she dedicates it to her grandmother because it explores three operatic heroines who had very little control over their own destiny, just like her grandmother. Made for opera from Nadine Sierra. That's what we explore this week on New Classical Tracks from American Public Media. I'm Julia Macher. I guess I should just ask you, how are you? How are you doing? I'm Things very have been well. busy. And... Yes, it's been quite busy, I have to say. But being back in New York is wonderful. I have a place here that I almost never get to see. So having the chance to, you know, have the perfect excuse to come back to New York is um, is always very helpful because then I can actually sleep in my own bed. <laughs> mm. Yes, <laughs> nice. I hear that's a real bonus. Yes, <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> The last time we spoke was in 2018 when your debut recording was released, There's a Place for Us, Mm -hmm. and that recording was about you and the story of the immigrant, and now your second recording tells us more of your story, and it's called Made for Opera. Mm -hmm. How does that title and the music on this recording reflect who you are? Okay, my answer will be a little complex, so I hope I can answer it perfectly in a streamlined way. So my grandmother who was born and raised in Portugal, in Lisbon, Portugal. She had a beautiful voice and had always loved music, especially classical music and opera, and wanted to become an opera singer. My great-grandfather, her father, didn't allow her to pursue any kind of career, you know, whether it had been in music or in something else. He said, you know, women, your role in life is to be a housewife to take care of the children, and nothing more. That's what you should aspire for. So she listened to her father. She grew up that way. She still had this beautiful voice and never had the support or the encouragement to pursue anything. My mother was born. My mother was born as an only child, and she watched this life of her mother's, you know, kind of always regretting... um, never having pursued her passions. When I was born, I was as young as three months old. My mother noticed that I was, uh, she was driving with me and I was in the car seat and she could see from the rearview mirror that I was tapping my foot 
exactly to the rhythm of the music that was playing from the radio, and she thought, that's really strange. When I was about five, six years old, I started to show this um, big fascination with music, with singing in particular. I was always singing around the house, couldn't get enough, and so she decided, you know, I'm going to allow my child to have voice lessons if that's something she wants to do and pursue, because she remembered the story of her mother and how she was never encouraged. And um, I took it on. I wanted those voice lessons. I studied every day for an hour every single day. Then my mom introduced me to opera when I was 10 years old because of her mother. And that was the moment I said, you know, I want to become an opera singer. I don't want to be on Broadway. I don't want to do pop. I need to become an opera singer, and I'm going to do everything in my power to do just that. And so my whole life, even before I was born, my whole life has been kind of prepared for my being made for opera. And that started from my grandmother never having the chance to kind of decide her own fate and her own destiny. And we find that a lot in opera with women, these female roles, women who, again, cannot make decisions for themselves, despite us finding them as being these iconic figures in opera. There are also women who are, in a way, in this, like, social prison. And my grandma grew up in that social prison. And today, now, as a modern-day woman, I have the, the power and the, the privilege to choose my destiny, to make my own decisions and to feel kind of free, to pursue this passion that I have that was given to me because of my grandma and lead a different life, still playing the same roles, of course, but leading a different life that my grandmother never got to have. And this is what led me to make this album, to put these three ladies inside of the album and to essentially dedicate that to my grandmother. How did you choose these three characters to be part of this recording? There are three women that I've played already, so I have some experience with all three. And they all, in a way, have a very similar story in the sense that, you know, being women, they're not really allowed to choose uh, certain things for themselves or they've become imprisoned either in their families or because of their reputation, like Violetta, for instance. And because of this, they all have a rather similar tragic end. And I thought it would be nice to portray all three of them having these similarities in mind, but also it is their tragic stories that make them so legendary and makes them so so famous in opera. They kind of martyred their social lives for our listening and viewing pleasure. It's interesting, too, because I know that you're very careful about choosing a role at the right point in your career, yeah. and you've waited on some of these. And talk a little bit about why that's so important to you, because I know a lot of it has to do um, with taking care of your voice and taking care of you. Absolutely. Taking care of the voice, and also, I'll add, 
I have always been interested in theater and in acting, and I, I feel it's so important to convey, at least to me, to convey a character as believably as possible. I didn't start to sing Violetta, for instance, until recently, because I felt like in my own personal life, I had not experienced enough life to play this character as believably as possible to, to what I wanted. And I felt like I needed to live a few more years in order to understand Violetta, to understand real, true heartbreak, and how to convey that in a way not as a young young woman, but as a woman, as a developed woman. And uh, and I, I achieved that just by waiting. So it's not just a vocal thing. It's, it's a personality thing, too. I never want to portray a character and feel like I'm faking it. I always want to portray characters whom I feel I can really, really relate to and, and show at, at the deepest level so that the audience walks away with the same impact that I had when I was 10 years old watching and listening to opera in a way that is truly unforgettable. What have you learned in your life that allows you to better understand Violetta? (laughs) A lot of heartbreak and a lot of questioning about love. Real love, true love, what does that mean? Being used by men in my life, um, being used a lot manipulated, not treated a certain way because I'm a woman. And what you do for love, what you sacrifice for it, and how you feel like that sacrifice, even though you know it's the right thing to do, it could be a thing that ultimately makes you feel like you could die from it. Yeah, I've lived a lot of stuff. (laughs) I mean, okay. We all do, right? We all live these kinds of things in our lives. And some people who know me very well, they say, oh, I'm so sorry that you've gone through this and that. And I say, no, I'm not sorry because I've I've learned a lot in my life. And I've been able to incorporate those things in my artistry. And it's catered to to, to that. And so, yes, I've lived a, a lot of similar um relationship things that Violetta has gone through and then trying to find out, okay, what is love? And what what would you do for that love? Verdi's La Traviata is the opera in which Violetta appears. And this role is said to require three different voices for each act. And your vocal coach discouraged you from taking that approach, and you approach her the same way throughout each act. Can you talk a little bit more about that, how you approach it? And if you want to mention who your vocal coach is, that might be good too. Absolutely. So my vocal coach, his name is Kamal Khan, and I have had the fortunate pleasure of working with him for 22 years. We started working together when I was 13 years old. So we've known each other a very long time, and I've always been a vocal technique geek a little bit, always trying to understand what it is to have a good vocal technique, singing in this bel canto kind of way, just to keep up the health 
of the voice, just so that it's always there and I can rely on it whenever I need. With Violetta, I never, ugh, I didn't want to see her as having three different voices because I never want to manufacture my sound to fit an idea of what that voice should sound like. I just want to sing like myself. And I, I always said if I can't cater to each act of Violetta, of Violetta's demands, then I'm, I'm not going to try to pursue the role. I'm not going to try to, to play her on stage. And so it's another part of why I waited. I waited for my voice to become a little bit more uh, developed, a bit more mature sounding, probably fuller, because yes, Violetta has some, some moments in her vocal passages that require a fuller sound so that you can hear her over the orchestra. And, uh, and so, yeah, I just, I will, I refuse to see her as three different voices because I just have one voice, my own voice, and I want that to be enough so that I don't feel like I have to create a sound to fit an idea that's not my own. And that's also something that you've now used as a lesson as you approach other characters, right? Oh, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And it has really helped me vocally, really helped me. And I think it will continue to help me for as long as I decide to sing. You mentioned bel canto, which is beautiful singing. And you are singing the part of a coloratura soprano in these roles. Can you explain what that means for people who might just be discovering opera and they don't know what all these little subtleties are in the characters? Sure. A coloratura soprano is a very high-voiced soprano, probably the highest-voiced soprano that exists. And it's also a soprano that usually when she sings, she has to sing um, not just high notes, but she has to be quite flexible with her voice, singing a lot of runs, scales that are quite fast. We call that agility, vocal agility. And in bel canto, let's say, beautiful singing, that's always what we as coloratura sopranos aspire to. Always when we sing, we want to sing as beautifully as humanly possible. So it does mean you have to have quite a bit of control over your vocal technique, um, especially when singing these, these passages that have agility, fast running notes, or very high notes. It's almost like what a prima ballerina is for dance. We're kind of that for voice. We train at that at that high, high level, so that every single time we try to perform, we can execute that performance at our own highest absolute level. It's interesting because you use the term control, and I always think of it more as freedom. Like you've developed the freedom to let your voice just do what it needs to do because it always sounds so effortless. Yeah, it's it's a party trick we all have. <laughs> it, I mean, it can look so effortless, but there's so much training that goes behind that, you know, to make it look 
um, so easy. Because we essentially, when we sing, especially things that are very difficult, we want our audience members members to feel at ease when they watch us, when they listen to us, to show that we're not straining, that it's that it's not as hard as it is, so that they can enjoy the performance without any anxiety coming from the performer themselves. Um, it's just like a dancer, too. When dancers dance, you know, they have to keep their neck and their shoulders and everything very relaxed, but their whole body is working for um, the movements that they make, and, and it is quite impressive. It's magic. Would you talk just a little bit about La Traviata, the story, and the sections that you've chosen to highlight on this recording, please? Yes, yeah, so the two sections I decided to highlight were Violetta in Act 1 and Violetta in Act 3. Violetta in Act 1 is her very famous aria, starting from Estrano to Sempre Libera. And it is the aria where she has just met Alfredo for the first time, and he has told her that he's in love with her, but really in love with her. Not that he's infatuated with her like all of the men around her, but really in love with her and that she should consider his love because his love, what it can prov provide for her, is something actually that could potentially save her life. Violetta, at that point, everyone in the story knows that she has been suffering from some illness. And she's now come back from that illness. And he says, you're not taking care of yourself and no one else will, but I can. And it's the first time Violetta has actually heard those words from a man. Typically, she doesn't hear those things from men because men use her. She's just there as a, as a party and as a tool for pleasure. And now she's understanding, actually, she could be more than that. But she's trying to convince herself that, no, you know, I want to be free in love. But we all know it's not true. Actually, deep down, she's very curious about what true love is. What does that mean? Because they've had a duet before this aria that he begins when he's telling her about his love, how, how he feels about her. And it touches her so much and, and affects her so much that we hear his voice during her aria. His voice is still ringing inside of her head, still ringing inside of her heart about true love. So yes, he is, he is part of that. It's a very important part, actually, in the opera. Then I highlighted her very last aria, where she's dying, and she's been without Alfredo because he left her. because she decided to pretend that she's not in love with him anymore to actually help him, to help his sister. Because again, in those days, women were not given many freedoms and many opportunities unless they married into those opportunities. 
and Alfredo has a sister. And the more that Alfredo is with Violetta, the more it ruins his sister's reputation and her possibility of marrying into a good family. So Violetta makes a sacrifice and she lies to Alfredo that she's not in love with him anymore and she can't be with him anymore. So she really sacrifices herself for another woman's love, which I love about Violetta. She's a very special and very empathetic character. But we find her in the last act dying, singing her last, basically her last goodbyes, and reminiscing about a love she was finally able to live, but essentially she loses. sing it, and I'm completely moved by you telling the story. And who is the tenor joining you? Um, he's a very young tenor who is also part of my my roster, Paolo Fanale. Actually, it's a very interesting story. We did this recording, I'd like to add, during the second biggest lockdown in Europe. And it happened in Italy first, before the other countries were affected. And the moment I landed in Torino to do this recording was when the government made the decision to have a lockdown. And we weren't sure we could actually still do the recording, but the government still allowed us to to make the recording with very limited people being allowed inside of the uh, recording studio and theater. And Paolo, thank God, was in Italy, and he was allowed to travel to still make it for the album. So... I'm very much uh, indebted to Paolo and very grateful that he was still willing to travel and risk his health to be part of it. Thank you for that. I didn't see that in any of the research that I did. Let's move Mm -hmm. on to Donizetti's Lucia. Donizetti's Lucia is a role that you have played in contrasting productions, including one under a female director, how did working with a woman director give you maybe a different perspective on the character? It, a lot. It really affected that working process quite a bit because being a woman and talking about women's issues and feeling like you're living in a man's world definitely makes that process very different and very memorable. And also relatable, because this particular female director and myself, we have both lived things in our personal lives that are similar to this at some point, whether it had been in a relationship or um, even a relationship with a family member. And we could then better convey what it is we wanted to to the audience about Lucia and how 
oppressed she is. And then questioning, is she really crazy at the end of the opera? Does she really lose her mind? Or can we actually imagine being a human being, being a young, young human being, feeling very oppressed by your family from the moment you're born and having these huge pressures on your shoulders, uh, being forced to marry a stranger whom then you have to share a wedding bed with. Would you or could you react in a similar way? As violent as it is, as troublesome as it is, could a person be driven to quote-unquote madness. And I think they could. And having her with me on that, and knowing what that feeling sometimes is like, you know, being in a relationship that could possibly drive a person mad. We understood that from a female's perspective, literally. And so it was, it was more intense. It was deeper. It was more real. Rather than just seeing Lucia as this famous vocal uh, role in opera, we saw her as a real human being. And that, that makes opera very different. It goes much deeper than just the voice. It's everything. Let's talk about the final character on your recording. What resonates with you most about Gounod's Juliet? Mm, Juliet. Well... When I was a young girl, like Juliette, I, I had a lot of things in my life that I wanted, and love was one of them. And what you will do for that love when you're so young and inexperienced, only that person can tell, but many times those decisions, they, they impact your entire life and probably impact the decisions you make for the rest of your life. And so I know what that's like. I've done that. And Juliette, she's the epitome of youth, but youth as a woman. And um, that's how I was when I was young. And I also know what it is to have a family um, who's a little bit too overprotective and wants to sort of keep you close and control certain things that you do or you don't do. And what that does too, the rebellion that comes from that. Um, so I know I know what that's all about as well. And I, 
I feel very fortunate that I can sort of play my younger self through Juliette every single time I have the chance to. When you play these women on stage, you're able to sympathize with them and their circumstances, and you also try to make them a bit stronger. Mm -hmm. How do you do that? By putting myself into them. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm not a pushover. I'm, I'm a very strong woman. I've been through a lot of things in my young life, even though I've only lived 34 years on this planet. But I've gone through a lot of things which have made me, and I'm so grateful, have made me very strong and very determined to keep making good decisions in my life to to help support not just my artistic life, but my real life, my personal life. And I make them a little stronger because I put myself into them, literally. I I can't play these women. I don't think I can play any character on stage without using myself and my life experience as an example. You know, it's not even just about how I feel in the moment. It's how I would express these women, even just how they would sit down, how would how would they would move their arms or move their face or move their dress or not. Like this, this Lucia, I'm wearing jeans. How do I move in jeans? You know, so it's it's everything. You know, it's it's like you become you become that person. Put your soul into this character to give them a beating heart. Not just a voice, but a beating heart. And um, my beating heart is a bit stronger. So I use it. I use it and I, I make them in my own way. Paint them with my own colors. And it just helps me to get into the character far more and I guess probably allows me to get deeper into their music as well. Nadine, you are a big advocate for women's rights and the empowerment of women, and you come from a family of strong women. You talked a little bit about your grandmother already. Tell me more about that and how important that is in your life. Oh, it's so important in my life. I'm very blessed to have, as I said, two sisters, my mother. So we're four women in the family. And my father also feels very fortunate to have us four women be part of his family. And we are also, all of us, very strong, um, having very big personalities. And because of those personalities, we thankfully, are able to support each other and to encourage each other to keep being strong, to keep promoting the empowerment of women and to feel empowered because of who we are, because of how we are. I don't think, for instance, I would have been able to become an artist at this level thus far without that support and without that encouragement, especially from my mother. 
you know, she took my grand my grandmother's story, so her mother's story, into her own own hands, and made it be my strength. And that's that's a big that's a big deal um, to change this this generational thing and and make it into something not just positive but something progressive to change not just your life but hopefully you know whomever you come into contact with that's a woman and struggling to be part of their lives and to show them you know I did it and so can you that's that's the greatest gift that my mother gave to me and my two sisters give to me every single day and my grandmother gave it to me too. My grandmother unfortunately passed away when I was 19 years old, but she watched me because I started so young. She watched me already in like the very beginnings of my career and I could see it on her face that she thought, thank God the world is changing and women today have the possibility, the possibilities, plural, that I never got. Thank God. And that, that's amazing. That's the power of change. Made for Opera, it's the latest recording from Nadine Sierra. Thanks to Valerie Kaler, our producer. I'm Julia Macher, and this is New Classical Tracks from American Public Media. (laughs) ¶¶ 